Hi, this is Carolyn April. And I'm Seth Robinson. And we want to welcome you to today's segment of Volley, which is our podcast where we're going to do a lot of tech talk. We're going to have some channel insights and more. So please tune in. On tap today, Seth, what do you think? Should we just kick off with the first topic or do you want me to give a little menu here? Oh, um, I guess you could give a menu. Tell people what what everything we've got going what, on here. It, yeah, what they're in for here. All right. So I think we're going to start off with something very cool. And we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. And then we're going to switch gears to a bit of channel news, uh, big news that's gone on this week, uh, or last week, I should say, with the SolarWinds acquisition of Logic Now. And then Seth and I will share with you a little experimentation that we've done uh, within our department here at CompTIA uh, with Slack, the messaging tool. So let's get to artificial intelligence, which I admittedly don't know a ton about, but I find it fascinating, and I think, uh, Seth, I know that you do as well. And it's been in the news this week. Um, I know that Google's been talking about it. Uh, Amazon has been talking about it. So I'm curious to get your thoughts, Seth, on where we're at. Is this a, a ready-for-prime-time type of solution, type of technology? Where are we going to see it fit in the market? Well, it's uh, an interesting topic, and I think it's one that's getting interesting enough to start to challenge the throne of the top buzzword. Uh, we've kind of seen... Over the past few years, about every 18 months, we've been refreshing the, the newest buzzword. I, I think we had cloud computing for a little longer than that, and then that gave way to big data, which gave way to IoT, which I think is now giving way to artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. It seems like a lot of people are talking about it, right? Yeah, machine to machine, I'd put in there as well. Yeah, there, there are different names for it, too. You're right. It's like machine to machine, machine learning, and I think... If you were to talk to, you know, the real eggheads that are trying to do some of this work, um, all of those different things might be different parts and might have some distinction. But, but I think to the general population, it really just falls under the umbrella of artificial intelligence, which is not that new of a topic. We've known about this for a while. We've feared it in all of our sci-fi movies. Um, but... Now it's becoming kind of real. We've got the compute capability to actually pull off some of the things that we've had in theory for a long time. And I think there's just a lot of interest in the topic. I think that it will make a lot of impact, um, but I also think that it's kind of confusing. And, and some of that confusion comes because artificial intelligence sits at an, at an interesting place in the computing landscape. It's, it's not a device, it's not an operating system, it's not a user interface, but it's kind of got aspects of all of that. And I think that those three things, like device, operating system, user interface, um, we're still coming out of the PC mindset where all of those were really wrapped into one thing. Like a Windows PC was all of that, and it was so dominant that it was, it was hard to separate out the different pieces and most people really didn't think about the different pieces that there were. You just had a Windows PC, and eventually it went from desktop to laptop, but that didn't change much. Um, and mobility changed that up quite a bit. All of a sudden, you had a new form of device. And so you mentioned that Google has been talking a lot about AI. And a little while back, uh, their CEO, Sundar Pichai, said that he thinks we're moving from a mobile-first era into an AI first era. And I think that kind of casts some confusion because like I said, you know, mobile 
is kind of in a different space than this artificial intelligence, which is like this this pool of machine learning intelligence that's getting built up that applications can build off of or, or tap into. And so the question kind of becomes, how do you tap into it and, and what are those devices? And so Amazon with their Echo device is tapping into their Alexa AI and that you know, it has got a lot of interest. People love using their Echo devices. They love talking to Alexa. But you can kind of see in the press, people are saying, well, what is Echo and what is Alexa? You know, why don't they just call it the Alexa? Uh, and so you can see, you know, some confusion around that. And um, Jeff Bezos was on stage at the Code Conference this past week, and he talked a lot about their artificial intelligence and how they're investing a lot in it and how they're, they're trying to create it to be this thing that developers can tap into. So they're creating APIs that can go into it. And so your device or your application can tap into Amazon's artificial intelligence. Uh, and again, I think it will even get away from the, the user interface. You know, we, we talk a lot about natural language and are you speaking to these things, but I think it will crop up just as you're browsing the web or as you're using your mobile device, as you've got a lot of different apps on there, you know, how is this underlying intelligence tying everything together, understanding what you want to do, and kind of bringing forward the best options depending on the context and the form factor and all of these other things that are going on. So, so would IBM's Watson be in this category? Certainly, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Because I had a very interesting conversation with um, a managed services provider um, who has developed some software IP um, around... Uh, the automation of help desks, which MSPs do quite a bit, but they use technicians to do so. And they're working with IBM. They're one of the a handful of, of IBM partners on, on the Watson front. And they're working with IBM. And what essentially is happening is Watson is learning how to act as a help desk technician. This is part of the application they've created, um, which maybe is scary to some MSPs who think, or technicians who think my job's going to go away. Um, but that's not how this guy I was talking to is presenting it. He's saying, no, what it does is it enables the machine to really automate and do some of the um, the mundane kind of grunt work. And eventually I'm sure they can move way up the stack as we're seeing. And, and, uh, and, and then technicians themselves and the engineers in these in these MSP businesses are then able to go ahead and do you know more strategic things or work on projects that aren't um, just monitoring network you know help desk issues for their clients. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I don't think they've launched yet, but when they do, um, it'll, it's going to be an interesting story for the MSP space. Right, and I think IBM has been doing more than these other companies in terms of trying to push it out as a business use. Um, the other companies are playing with it a little bit more in the consumer space, which is which is where a lot of the industry attention seems to get focused these days. Yep. Um, but IBM is definitely pushing it out into the business space, and you know we've mentioned here, you know, IBM, uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft has Cortana, Apple has Siri, and for a little while I've been saying that the old Thomas Watson. Um, quote that he had back in the mainframe era of, I think there's only a world market for about five computers. That's long been used as kind of a, an example of misunderstanding the future of the, the computing industry. 
But with cloud, it was starting to look like, well, maybe there's only a worldwide market for five big public clouds. Mm -hmm. And I think you could make the same argument for AI. You know, maybe there's only a worldwide market for a few AIs where the companies have the resources to invest in this kind of activity. But through APIs and, and through business partners, that's what people are going to be tapping into. And so you're going to have all of these services built on top of it. And, and I think that the, the stack, the computing stack that we have is kind of growing. And you've got all these different components now to play with. And so if you're an MSP and you're trying to build out your services, I think you were kind of going to ask, you know, where am I going to get my devices from? What kind of devices are those going to be? Uh, what kind of monitoring am I going to put on top of that? Those are some of the questions that get asked today. And now a new question is maybe going to be, you know, what kind of, what AI am I going to tap into to do some learning and, and to create, you know, some value in the services that I'm trying to bring? Yep. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be interesting, but it does seem to me that we're getting to a point where uh, there are going to be a few mammoth players um, who control, you know, a variety of, of aspects of our industry. Yeah, and I think the, you know, one of the other lessons to take from that is, you know, do, does everyone have to play in every space here? Even if you're thinking about the large vendors, there was something on ZDNet uh, this week looking forward to Apple's WWDC coming up saying Apple really needs to make a splash in big data and AI. And, and my thought, but do they? But do they? Right. Yeah. My thought was, do they? You know, is that what, where they're wanting to serve? Do they have to serve there, or can they keep producing devices that have, you know, great engineering design, a great operating system, a great integrated experience between that device and operating system, that's now tapping into another AI? Is that a viable model? And I don't think we know for sure. But I, I don't. I think it's a little hasty to say. If you're a big tech company out there, you have to be doing this. Yeah, no, it's the classic jack of all trades, master of none thing. Um, and I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think that uh, companies don't have to do it all; they can mm -hmm. specialize. But yeah, it, speaking, it, I think that's a good segue because the, the the next thing we want to talk about is an acquisition that was. Uh, embarked on so the company that was doing the acquiring could quote unquote do it all in their particular space. So if you've wrapped with AI, I think we can chat about SolarWinds. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens with AI in the future. I think it will be an interesting battleground for a lot of companies, um, but not every company. And so the SolarWinds thing, you know, I saw uh, just a few days ago, right? It happened this week. Uh, SolarWinds purchased LogicNow, uh, which is not a small player in you know this MSP software space. So this is one of the bigger deals that we've seen in a while, and it certainly made a splash in the channel news. And just interested to get your take on it and kind of what this means going forward for MSPs. Yeah, it's definitely a big deal in the MSP software space, as you said. And there's been quite a bit of activity in that particular space, and we're talking about. Uh, PSA vendors and RMM vendors, and increasingly they're adding to the mix BDR in there and some other types of services. And because they're adding services, we're seeing quite a bit of M&A activity, and SolarWinds just being the most recent, but probably the most significant to date. And what's most interesting about it is it, it gives SolarWinds as the, as the 
mothership, I guess, although they did buy Enable a few years ago, and they're fairly well integrated, so I wouldn't say that one is over the other. Um, they've renamed the company, by the way, since the acquisition uh, to SolarWinds MSP, uh, which kind of, um, I think, well represents what they are doing now that they have Logic Now. And SolarWinds, as many people know, uh, served the very large MSP space. Uh, so MSPs who um, were serving enterprise customers themselves, those were typical customers of SolarWinds when they were a solo company. They purchased Enable uh, several years back, and Enable really gave them a market, an entree into the mid-market MSP space, so selling into, and there's many more of them than there are the large, large MSPs. Uh, and that's gone very well. The integration um, of Enable and SolarWinds, by all, by all accounts, has been not bumpy, uh, which is fantastic for them. And then finally, this last piece, in, in buying Logic Now, which is a good-sized company, got a lot of customers, and they heavily focus in the very small MSP space. And the MSP space, by and large, the majority of those who are in it are very small. And we're talking about MSPs who have fewer than five technicians working for them in their data center or whatever they're using the cloud. So they're small, small companies, and that's most of these guys. So now SolarWinds Enable has access to all these MSPs, and there are thousands of them out there. And then their customers, uh, the MSPs' customers have, you know, they can pretty much appeal to enterprise, mid-market, and small, which gives them a big advantage. I mean, there are some, there are some downsides to this or some questions within every merger or acquisition, how the integration is going to go. But from what, what I've read and, and seen is, you know, this has been long in the making, at least between the two companies. And the two CEOs uh, know each other well and have been in at least casual talks over the last six years uh, and then really, uh, you know, accelerated those talks um, in the last year and have pulled this thing together. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, there's a couple things that they're going to need to resolve. Um, Enable and Logic Now both have a very viable uh, RMM tool. Uh, so the question becomes, do we integrate these? Do we eliminate one? Do we keep them both? Uh, and there are upsides and downsides to both of that. I mean, obviously, you've got MSP customers that are using one of these RMM tools and if they eliminate the other, or if they eliminate the one they're using, then that, that may cause some um, cause some irritability among those MSPs who now have to make the shift. So, but these are kind of questions that come up with almost every merger and acquisition. Uh, from what I've read, also though, the CEO of SolarWinds said, you know, the integration is going to keep everybody in place from a job perspective. So, uh, at least initially, they've been very verbal and very out there and talking about the deal and. I think for the channel, that's wonderful because a lot of times these M&As do happen and partners downstream don't get a lot of information. And it can be a really trepidatious time uh, not knowing what the, the merger of two of your vendors or one of your vendors with another vendor that might be larger and what the implications are going to be for that. So I, I would applaud the, uh, the SolarWinds folks for being um, very transparent in, in chatting with their partners so far and so quickly after the deal was announced. Right. And when it comes to that partner base, I'm not as familiar with SolarWinds, but I know with Logic Now, they have a really vibrant community uh, and, and they do a lot with that community, uh, which is kind of what you would expect if they're dealing with a lot of smaller firms that are trying to get together, network, learn best practices, things like that. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of that community structure. And if they've got access now to much larger partners, 
can they build some tiers where you know the, the larger partners are getting together and they're talking and they're they're trickling down some of their things and they're getting some input from the the smaller communities uh that's something that we do a little bit of within comptia with our vendors and distributors and solution providers uh and, and i would expect that that'll be an interesting thing to watch as this merger takes place uh, to see exactly how they can bring all of their partners together and try to create a, a community or, or a, an environment where they can all learn from each other. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, these, these companies all have their own culture. Uh, their partners in particular have their own culture. Logic Now, as you mentioned, is a very vibrant community. I've been to their events. Um, great, very engaged group of MSPs there, uh, as we see really throughout the MSP business. And um, what's going to be interesting is just to see how the competitive landscape also shapes up. This deal uh, positions this company, SolarWinds MSP, the new name, um, to really compete now against the other top players in the market, like ConnectWise and Autotask. So it's going to be interesting to see. And all of these companies have partner bases that are really engaged and really informed. So it'll be interesting to watch certainly over the next year or two, um, how this all shakes out. And then who else buys who else? Because you never know when this is going to stop. It seems like we've had um, a news story, you know, every every month or two about um, one uh, MSP software vendor buying another and also of MSPs buying MSPs. We had, I'll, I'll mention briefly, but a, a pretty big deal this week in the MSP world itself, uh, Carousel Industries, which is a very large MSP in Rhode Island, bought Atrion, which is another Rhode Island-based uh, MSP um, and uh, who has a good friend there who is very involved in CompTIA. Uh, so it, that's an interesting deal. And so we're not only seeing the consolidation take shape at the vendor level, but also at the MSP level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like uh, the topic of M&A is just heating up and more people are talking about that and what it means and what it looks like. It seems like the um, behavior behind what it means to try to get to an exit uh, some of that is starting to heat up. And I wonder how much of this is maybe a little demographic as you've got, you know, people that have maybe built up their company and now they're kind of done with it and they're looking to cash out. Um, and how much of that, you know, is, is spread, you know, across the, the industry here. Um, but it's definitely heating up a little bit and uh, it will be interesting to see how more consolidation continues to take place, more specialization, uh, trying to find, a given niche, even as you grow. Uh, so definitely uh, signs of things to come with this one, I think. Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the channel itself, we talk about this a lot and other pundits out there do as well. I mean, there's, a, there's definitely an aging of the channel too. And a lot of these folks who have built a company over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, are ready, you know, with an exit strategy and are looking to be purchased. Uh, so I think that's definitely one dynamic going on, but I don't think that's all that's going on. I think that as we talked about when we were talking about AI, um, we're just seeing a general consolidation um, to around fewer players. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know if that'll continue um, with respect to the channel, but uh, that seems to be the direction that we're heading. Hmm. Well, we'll keep our eye on it. Yes, we will. All right, so last topic. Um, like you mentioned, we experimented a little bit within the research team over the past few weeks with Slack. Uh, it's been in the news quite a bit. Uh, there's been quite a bit of noise around that. A lot of people using that as uh, either an, an alternative or a companion to email, uh, and we wanted to go ahead and check it out. So, uh, so we did, and this isn't 
really meant to be a product review or anything, but just kind of going over our experiences and, and what we thought about it. Yeah. I'm, it, it was fun. You know, I, I think I liked the interface quite a bit. Um, and, and I thought found it easy, um, easy to use. Uh, it added to the number of tools, though. So that's kind of the question, I guess, uh, if you're already operating. I guess the big question was if you're going to use it internally only or if you're going to be tapping into people that you communicate with in the outside world of your company and how to reconcile all of that. I think that was probably one of the bigger issues that we had in trying to figure out. Um, but I thought, you know, all in all, I, I found the tool to be pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely introduced a function that really wasn't in some of our other functions, uh, you know, like some of our other tools. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the lightweight, um, you know, asynchronous. So a little bit away from I am, but not all the way into, you know, the heaviness of email, um, just having kind of a threaded conversation. And it, it, it felt a lot like a group chat um, with a lot more functionality. You could create new threads, you could attach files, you could do some of these things, but it didn't have uh, a direct reply capability. And so you kind of had to pay attention to the way the conversation was going. Uh, it didn't have a voice function, although it sounds like that's coming. And so, yeah, to your point, you know, we, we use um, Link, which is becoming Skype for business. And uh, that is what we use for a lot of instant message and voice. We obviously use email. We have to contact the outside world, you know, so we're not inviting these people into our Slack channels. Um, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, these multiple things that you're juggling, all of which do something interesting. Um, but do you have all of your network on it? Uh, do you have enough of your network in order for it to kind of overcome the overhead of mentally juggling it? Uh, and, and for us, you know, I think we wouldn't have continued to use it just within the research team forever. If, if we really liked it, it might've been something that we would have looked at, uh, you know, organization wide. Um, and I think for just the style of communication that we have today, we didn't have nearly as many handoffs. We didn't have nearly as many, you know, ongoing conversations. A lot of our projects um, tend to run a little longer and, and maybe happen in silos. And so, we didn't tap into some of those things. Um, but I can certainly see where a different team, maybe like a software development team or something yeah, like that. I was, was going to jump in and mention that. As you, in your former world, um, Seth, obviously you worked on teams where it was an intense project-related work that everyone was contributing to, not as we do in research, often work in silos on our individual projects. Um, so I wondered if in that setting would Slack be um, a lot more useful than in our little research setting? I, I think so. Um, just thinking about the, the project style of, of what we were working on and, um, and, and again, some of the handoffs there. Uh, we, we were using instant messaging you know, very frequently there um, and, and we kind of used that as a companion to email and they each had their uses. Um, I, I could see something like Slack, you know, that, that type of, of function um, having a good use there. Um, obviously, at the scale that we were at, um, it might become pretty heavy. You, you, you all of a sudden have you know tons of different threads getting started up, and, and how are you managing those? Hmm. Um, but that's that's an interesting you know kind of point to bring up too is whether you're managing multiple tools or you're managing multiple threads within tools. 
that's becoming an issue, right? Is, is all of this management that has to get done and what tools are available to do that? What filtering is there? Are you, you know, setting yourself to be away properly? Where are you getting a break from all of these notifications? Um, and, and I think that's part of adopting these new tools. They, they can certainly help with efficiency and productivity, um, but they maybe can help with burnout too. And so you have to be careful about that. Yeah, I was going to say, they maybe drive you crazy also. Yeah. Crazier than we already are. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, it was a, it was a good noble experiment, and uh, and uh, I think um, I learned some I learned some things. So that's all. Yeah, always- and it'll be interesting to see if some other you know vendors of email solutions like Microsoft with Outlook or you know Google with Gmail you know start to try to incorporate some of these things so that you can get a one stop shop. Um, haven't seen much of that lately, but. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if some of these tools that are already being used start to have different features on the side that allow you to do some of these different things. Yeah, I agree. So we've gone from fewer players and less, you know, more, more monolithic type of players in the AI space or whatever it is to when we get down to our little communications tools, uh, there's going to be multiple of them and multiple features. So maybe the communication space will get into the same place as some of the, you know, the cloud space where we're kind of consolidating around a few tools, but we'll see. We'll see. We will. All right. Um, Well, I think that does it for this week. Yeah, I think that's a wrap, but um, tune in again just to next, next podcast. We'll be back. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.